Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. When God calls you to something, how you answer matters. God will often call us to personal self-sacrifice in order for us to obtain what He has for us. Even after that sacrifice, obtaining the promise may be difficult for us, but we have the assurance that God is with us as we continue to trust in Him. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and Sarah to what seems impossible, but when it's impossible and when it happens, it builds our faith because we know God Himself did it. Let's see what happens in the conclusion of Pastor Jim's message, following God's amazing call to the impossible. Why in the world would Jesus Christ come and die on a cross for a world that consistently sins against God? Let's get a little closer to home. Why in the world, and I'm talking about me now, why in the world would God call an idolater like Abraham, to follow him and to bless people through him. I have no idea, but it certainly explains why God calls us. It certainly explains why God calls you and why God calls me. It certainly demonstrates the grace of God. We said last, if we think we know why God has showered his grace upon us, then we probably know very, very little about the grace of God. And we're probably not very self-aware. I've been a follower of Jesus since 1988. I still don't understand why he decided to call me and show me his grace and mercy and forgiveness. I still don't get it. Doesn't mean I don't cherish it. It doesn't mean I don't love it. It doesn't mean I don't love him. But honestly, it makes no sense because I know the way I used to live all the time and loved violating what he said. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 27 says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame, the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame, the things which are mighty. So I read that. And I look at that and I say, well, God, you chose me because I'm one of the foolish things of the world. And you chose me because I'm one of the weak things of the world. So let me ask you, friend, does that insult you or does that amaze you? For me, that blows my mind. It absolutely amazes me. I met so many people after the Lord just flipped my life right side up. And they were like, you? Like, that's a case for God. So that takes us to number two. God calls, but what do we do with that call? The call answered, verse four. Abraham takes a step forward. So Abraham departed. <laughs> the Bible is just so matter-of-factly. All, pre- <laughs> all the preparations it takes. Again, we just moved. We're like, we moved. Everybody's like, oh, great, you moved. <laughs> all it took. This guy had a, didn't have all the conveniences that we have. So, so simple and understated. He, he departed. He left. That's how he answered the call. He did what God said. 
as the Lord had spoken to him. He did just what the Lord had said to do, simple obedience to what God said, and Lot with him, Lot will come across later on, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. What we're about to encounter, in addition to being how casual the Bible is about him leaving, so he's leaving Haran, he's going to Canaan, it's about 400 miles. And he's going with goats and with sheep and with hundreds of people. Now, how many of you have gone on a 400-mile trip with a couple little kids in the back seat? <laughs> and you wanted to kill them. <laughs> we just always say about our kids, how do they know we're always a half hour from the destination? <laughs> and they would turn from our little angels into demons. Verse 5, then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. That's the land from verse 1 to a land that I will show you. So there's a couple things we need to know here. We need to know that they came to Canaan. In verse 6, he's going to tell us that the Canaanites live in the land. That would make sense. Tremendous idolaters. And we just learned that Abraham's age is 75. So let's not gloss over the self-sacrifice of Abram giving up all he had for what God promised could be. A bunch of blessings. Nothing really tangible. I mean, imagine the whole way his wife's like, Abe, you got any more details? <laughs> I was mentored by Jewish businessmen. I love them. Raised Irish Catholic, but they took me into their fold. Great, great friends. And, and so, you know, any more details? No, just all this blessing stuff. In the same way, we don't gloss over the self-sacrifice of Abraham. We don't gloss over the fact, we should never gloss over the fact, as people casually say, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins, for what you and I are now, but what you and I can be and what you and I will become. So we said before, he was a businessman. He lived before, he lived in Ur and Haran, two tremendous centers of commerce to Canaan. Not so much a center of commerce. Kind of like the, the backwoods or the mountains. And this is a soul-searching question we probably all need to ask ourselves. Do the details of God's call or the details of the journey to where God wants us to be, do they have to be to our liking for us to be faithful to answer the call? I mean, over the years, and, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't think it's anybody here. Hopefully they're not at another place in the building. I've, I've had guys say to me, like, you know, I, I watch those guys in the parking lot, man. I think, man, the camaraderie I see among the guys. I'd love to be out there serving with them. That sounds great. And I'm like... Yeah, that sounds great, man. They're like, but I'm thinking February, Pastor Jim, man. That sounds cold. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 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 you only want to serve in the fall and the spring. Or, or is there a temperature range we could kind of get you into? You know, that, that's the way we are a lot of times, Lord. What are the conditions? Verse 6 and 7, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth stream of Mora, a Bible scholars tell us that for a thousand years previously, and all the way up to that time, there had been a pagan shrine there, and the Canaanites were in the land. 
Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, that the word descendants literally means seed, to your children. Now, Abram's 75, and he has no children. You picture him just kind of going like this. Excuse me, God, excuse me. Just a little point, little, little thing I want to raise. To your descendants, literally your seed, I will give this land. So what does Abraham say? Are you kidding me, man? No, look at the response. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is a very interesting thing. We're going to see Abram's going to go through the land building these altars to the Lord. And remember, he's in a, in a pagan country. So he's got this large group with him. You're like, here they come. We heard about them. Here they come. They come traipsing along, and they come to a, a well-known shrine. And, and somebody says, so what do we do here, Abram? And he goes out. Get some stuff, and over there, build an altar. Build an altar. And it's sort of like, you know, maybe in our day, somebody gets some, there's some religious statue in a town, and, and some guy comes into town and, or on the street. Somebody has maybe something on their front lawn or something like that, and he's just building an altar on his front lawn or building an altar in town. And just picture the neighbors out in the street. So what do you think of the new guy, man? It's, what are we going to do with this guy? Not to mention when it says the Canaanites were in the land, lands, it adds to the impossibility of it all. Why? They don't want to hear about Yahweh. They don't want to hear about God. They got their thing going. Don't, don't interrupt our thing. Don't interrupt my life. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you something. I get it. <laughs> Jesus is a major interruption to your life. He is. And once again, the promise is made to your descendants. Again, he has none. He's against all odds. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I'm excited for you. It's not unusual that God will often put people, especially his own people, into impossible situations. So we know when it comes to pass, he did it. Other than that, we could say, well, we did this, and we did that, and we did this, and we did that. And so, so we talked earlier about, you know, coming to a place where we didn't know anybody, and then a couple people come to a Bible study, and then we end up having a church. People say, well, how did you do it? I go, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I watched. <laughs> I prayed, and that was it. I didn't really do much of anything. Notice I said that God often puts us in impossible situations. It's not always, but nor should we really be that surprised when we are put into that place. Why? Well, God's call to each one of us is very personal. It's, it's different to each one of us because he's wired us differently. He's, he's put us in different places. He's given us different gifts it's very, very different. You know, not everybody's called to go out into other parts of the world, and, and not everybody's called to do what I do. Not everybody's called to doing all different kinds of stuff that you can do. You know, some of you are great cooks, and so when somebody is sick or has a baby or something like that, you cook a meal and bring it to them. That, that's a good thing. That, that is a calling that is using a gift that God has given you. Now, if I cook a meal and bring it to them, it's a good thing I know how to do funerals. 
because I can eat, but I can't cook anything. Remember, I make toast in the microwave. (laughs) Okay, so we all have different gifts. God's call on our lives is very personal because our faith must be very personal. Now, the path to God, we say this many times, the path to God is through Jesus. Jesus claimed there's only one way, and he said, watch me do miracles, watch me be raised from the dead, and I'm gonna prove it to you. There's only one way to God through Jesus. That is the Christian faith. Now you say, well, other faiths are not like that. Almost all of them are. They just don't like to admit it, that they'll admit that they're the only way. And they're so inconsistent, it would seem logical, actually, that they would make those claims. So there's only one way to God through Jesus, but there are many ways to Jesus. Why? Because the path of each one of our lives is very, very different. Very, very different. Verse 6, he says he went to the place called Shechem. That's known as the place of decision. And that's a place that God is going to bring us all to at various points in our life. Don't be surprised when this sentence is popping out of your mouth. I just don't know what to do. That is going to be something that is common to all of us. We often get into those things. My wife always says to me, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know. She's like, but you always know what to do. I go, not now. I don't know what to do. And so that's going to be common to all of us. But see, here's the thing. When the future is unknown, like it is for this man, will we worship God? Will we keep that as a constant in our lives to keep us on some sort of a, of a level playing field, some sense of normality, some sense of confidence in God that he's got us? You see, it's easy for some people to say how great things are going with them and God when things are going well. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus had for us And that's not the kind of love that he wants for us. How many of you in in this room have have been married more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay, look around there. Your love has been tested in many ways, hasn't it? Hasn't it? It's been tested in many, many ways. If not, one of you is clueless. Yes, your love is tested. And that's what Jesus does. He, he tests and refines and grows our love for him. Verse 8 and 9, they're still touring the land. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. So is he living a life of luxury now? No, he's living out of a tent and, and, and moving it all along. It's not like he's got this big tent set up and this is one place. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Notice he has no idea where he's going, no idea what he's doing, and as he worships, his relationship with the Lord is growing and growing and growing. And so everywhere he goes, everywhere God sends him, he is a worshiper. You see, when we don't follow what God wants for us, when we don't obey God, it's hard to worship. It's very hard to worship. Verse 9, so Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So what seems to be happening right now is Abraham is symbolically reclaiming the land for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God, same thing. 
a land where the Lord is to be worshipped. You know, some people do this, and I'm, I'm, it's okay, I do it too. Some people do this to their homes and their apartments and their businesses. They just walk in, or they stand outside the building, and they go like, I claim this for the Lord. I claim this for the Lord. This belongs to him. It's almost like they, they put the stake in the ground, or they draw the line in the sand, and say, you other guy, you stay out of here. Because if you come past this line, you mess with my God. You see, for the kingdom of God, Abraham, what he's doing right now, this is really just the first step of the new reality. All the earth through the Lord Jesus is the ultimate goal. That's why Abraham is so very important. He is the start of God's mission for the world. Interesting what's going on right now. 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus has died, rose, and ascended into heaven, calls this, what, we're, what we just read right now, calls this the gospel. He writes this, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, just as Abraham believed God, not believed in, believed. There's a big difference. A lot of people say, oh, I believe in God, but do you believe God? Do you believe what he says? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's how you get to heaven. You believe what God says, that you and I are sinners because we have violated God's law and he has sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life in our place, to die a sinner's death in our place, and to prove that it was satisfactory payment for our sins. God raised him from the dead, ascended him to heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God. So when you put your trust in Jesus, you are accounted with his righteousness. And we say it goes like this. Jesus takes your sin and you get his righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing, the scripture is personalized, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, non-Jews, by faith. Look at this preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So this was a promise of a faith-filled people to come, people committed to the word of God and to the ways of God. Same chapter, chapter Galatians 3, up to verse 16 through 18. Now Abraham and his seed, remember he didn't have any, Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He, God, does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So thousands of years earlier, he is promising Abraham that the Messiah will come through your family line. All the way down through the history, I'm going to make sure it happens, whether they're godly people or they're not. I'm going to make sure it happens. Verse 17, and this I say that the law that came through Moses, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. This is a whole sermon. I will not give it to you. What he is saying simply here is the gospel of grace through your seed, Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he will be the blessing to the world, was before the law of Moses. 
and the gospel of grace is not nullified by the law of Moses. God is telling his people how he wants them to live. Always important to remember that the gospel of grace came before, 400 years before, the law of Moses. Verse 18 for if the inheritance is of the law, if you get heaven by the obeying God, if you get heaven by being a good person, it is no longer of promise. Then everything that happened with Jesus doesn't make a difference, but, but because it does, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So that's more important. The Apostle Paul is clear here. God initiated the great promise to save and bless the world But Abraham and all of us, if we want to inherit the promise of heaven, must put our trust in the Lord. It says, Abraham believed God. That is, we always say more similar to our word trust, because we can believe a lot of different things in our head, but trusting God is something totally different. In other words, the promises made to Abraham already had the coming of Jesus in view, and yet On another way, Abraham here is a picture of Jesus to come. We said last that both left their comfortable lives for the uncomfortable. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. Abraham left the known for the unknown. Both made incredible sacrifices. Of course, Jesus is far more to be a blessing to other people. In the Old Testament, it says, In Psalm 2, for Jesus it was to inherit the nations. In Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament, it says, so that every knee would bow to Jesus Christ. And the scripture teaches, as, as God said to Abraham, those that reject Jesus will be cursed. In effect, those that reject Jesus will not have the forgiveness of sins and will not have eternal life for the simple reason that they don't want it. If you don't know the reality of Jesus, his true identity, the Apostle John helps us in his gospel. Jesus is spoken of in John's gospel, chapter 1, is the Word. And it says this, John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt can be translated tabernacled or pitched his tent. And John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That famous verse that they hang up at the football games, John 3, 16, I'm going to read for you from a version I don't really read from too often to you guys, the Amplified Bible. Uh, if I don't read it too often, it means I have issues with it. So. But it says this, John 3, 16, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son, that was his seed, so that whoever, whoever believes and trusts in him, parentheses, as Savior, shall not perish but have eternal life. That means that the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven is the result of your response to the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're here with us, you're in another location, you're just watching on the internet, today 
God calls you to receive promises of God. But you may have to leave certain things behind. But no matter what, you're going to have to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus. And you can do that today right in your own seat. If you are a follower of Jesus, like Abraham, the Lord wants us to claim and proclaim the earth as his to people who need to hear. I guess the question in that comes down to this. Not do we believe in God, but do we believe God? Do we believe that by a simple call of faith, a simple call of people to believe, that the entirety of people's eternal destiny can be changed. Now, some of you right now are sitting there going, but I have failed so many times. Well, next week, we will see that God even uses and blesses his people when their faith is overwhelmed by their circumstances. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.